The marks of a true Christian are found in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And here comes the part that we all struggle with the most. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Why is it that we all struggle with that so much? Why is it that we want to cancel someone else that's trying to cancel us? Why do we want to repay evil for evil? We can learn so much from the allegory of Christian and faithful walking because that's you and I walking through Vanity Fair. And when we face trials and troubles, then we have to understand that we are to do it in joy. When we face harshness against the world, we are to do it in joy. We are to give glory to God, pointing people back to Jesus Christ. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Subscribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Subscribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Subscribe. A few weeks ago in a small group at our church, we were talking about cancel culture. And for some reason, the movie Pilgrim's Progress, the animated movie that I have for my, my children, popped in my head. You may be wondering, why are you watching children's movies? Well, I'll tell you, if you've never seen Pilgrim's Progress or even read the book, which I've read it twice, it's really good to read. It's actually one of the most popular books second to the Bible to read for Christians. It's an allegory written by a pastor named John Bunyan who lived in the 1600s who was actually in prison for his faith. He was in prison for preaching the Word of God. During the time that he was imprisoned, if I'm not mistaken, he began to write. His imagination began to open up while he was imprisoned. What work he is most well known for, he wrote several books, but one of the most well known he's known for is The Pilgrim's Progress. Again, it's an allegory, which some people believe he did incorporate some of his own life into this book, but it's an allegory of the Christian life. One of the things that popped in my mind while we were having this conversation during our small group is this scene from The Pilgrim's Progress, and it's also in the book, which I'm going to share a little bit of that with you today, and then challenge you and I both about how we're to conduct ourselves as a Christian. One of the things that stood out to me when I was watching this movie was the part where Christian and Faithful, who are two characters in this book, as we'll talk about in a moment, Christian is the main character, but they're walking through this place called Vanity Fair, and they're on their way to the Celestial City. And while they're walking through this city, we're going to see what happens to them. But Vanity Fair, in case you haven't figured it out already, is not a good place to visit. The question is, why did Christian and Faithful even go through this place? Well, it was on the way to the Celestial City. There was no way around it. When John Bunyan wrote about this place, he talked about Vanity Fair represented the world and all its activities. It was the vanity or the emptiness of the human life apart from God. And as they begin to walk through this town, 
it's a place where things went on all year long. In the in the movie part of it, you see that there's roller coasters and there's rides taking place and there's games and there's people drinking and there's prostitutes, which they don't necessarily say that in the movie, but you can kind of figure that out as an adult of what's going on with these dressed up ladies with a lot of makeup on and they're throwing them kind of coming up, coming up to these two men as they're walking through. And these men are not dressed like everybody else, first of all. They're not dressed like everyone else that's in this town. They're dressed in their armor that they've been uh, just come out of the battle um, prior to that from the Valley of Humiliation. They've come across themselves and coming out of the wilderness, and now they're in the Vanity Fair. So this town celebrated all year long. It was a thing that went on. They sold things that were vain, and they were worthless, and all who came there were vain, and all these people were taking part in this, and Christian and Faithful are walking through this town on their way to the Celestial City, but they're going to run into trouble. And to kind of set this up for you as well, prior to this even happening, they come across the man Evangelist. Both of them have met Evangelist early on in their walk, in in first coming to go on their path to the celestial city. They come across a man called Evangelist. And Evangelist sits down with them and he even warns them and says, one or both of you, both of you are going to face trial and one or both of you is going to pay the ultimate price. One of you is going to die for your faith. But neither one of them know which is which is going to go through this. So as we read through here, I want to share some things with you as we've set as I've set up the the uh, foundation of where we're going here and set the scene for you. I want to read a little bit of this to you out of the book and then talk a little bit about you and I about as far as our Christian walk and how we're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The book tells about almost 5,000 years ago that there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city as those two honest persons were. And Beelzebul, Apollyon, and Legion with their companions, seeing that the pilgrims always passed through this town of vanity, decided to set up a fair here that would last all year long, where they would sell all sorts of vanity. So this was not a newly established city that they were walking through. This place had, or town, this place had been here for a long time. And there were all kinds of things to distract people, to get them off of the path, and to keep them and lure them into being a part of Vanity Fair. There were promotions, there were honors, there were homes, there were lands and trades, and there were all kinds of things that they could, precious stones and all kinds of precious metals and things that they could get. And at the fair, you could always see people like jugglers, people that cheated, games, plays, fools, mimics, tricksters, scoundrels of every kind. And you also saw things like thefts, murders, adulteries, liars, and other such things. Now, as these men were going through this, we we understand also that John Bunyan shares in here that the path to the celestial city passed right through this town where the fair was kept. And if anyone wanted to go to the city and yet not go through this town, he must leave this world. And he tells of the prince of princes himself that came through this town, which is Jesus Christ. So this fair was an ancient thing. It was of long standing and very large. And when these two men entered the fair, all the people got very excited. The town was soon in an uproar around them. And they noticed a few things about these men. As I said before, first, these two pilgrims were not dressed in the same dress as everyone else at the fair. And so the people began to look at them much differently and wondering why they were dressed the way they were dressed, and begin to say that they were fools and that they were madmen. And some said that they were outlandish, which means far from the outside of the land. They were different from them. They were not as good as they were, so to speak. Second, the things that these people noticed in Vanity Fair 
that they were uncertain of their speech. It says in the book that for few could understand what they said because they both spoke the language of Canaan, which the language of Canaan, according to the footnotes, is the language of God's people. When you look it up, for example, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And the third thing that these people noticed about Christian and faithful was that they were not interested in any of their wares. And this is the thing, or their vanities, and this is the thing that got Christian and faithful in trouble. Because as the people would come to them and say, what would you buy? They looked at them gravely and answered, we buy the truth. This gave them even more reason to despise the men. And so they began to mock the men. They began to want to attack them. They were calling for attacks on them. And this caused a great commotion. So essentially what happened was these two men were brought to trial. Those that had appointed, been appointed to examine them believed them to be nothing other than madmen or those that had come to cause confusion in the fair. They did not like the fact that there was being a disruption, that there was a disruption to their ways in Vanity Fair. They wanted to continue to do the things that they were doing to try to provoke these men to essentially sin, to to fall away, to to stay with them and to be lured in by the things of this world. But they weren't able to do that. These two men were set on going to, to the celestial city. Their sights were on Christ. And it got them in trouble. And because they did not want to conform to the ways of this, this place in Vanity Fair, it set them apart. And when it set them apart, it put a big target on them, so to speak, for these people to say, well, they're disrupting what we're doing. So the end result of this in this book, it says they beat them and smeared them with dirt and put them into a cage to make a spectacle of them to all who were at the fair. Now, I don't know about you, but I know from my own personality and my own way of doing things sometimes, my first inclination, whether it's for myself or for someone that I love and care about, I, I don't like to see people that are being attacked. I don't like to see people that are being bullied. I've always been that way, even as a, as a young per, a younger as a younger person, even though I was bullied when I was younger. But I've never liked seeing that. I don't like seeing people being treated in such a way when I know that they have not garnered that treatment by that other person. And so our first instinct, my first instinct, is to respond to that in such a way that I let that person know, you're not going to act like that. That is my first instinct to do that. That is my fleshly first instinct to do that. We all probably have that instinct at one time or another. Now, some people may be more, may be more reserved or they may be more constrained or they, they, may, they may have more self-control <laughs> than I do with that. And that's something that the Lord has continued over even over the past years to work on in me. But when I see things like that, that, that are just things that are worldly that are going on or how people are acting and they're acting in a hostile or nasty way, one of the first things that I want to do, and they're being unjust in what they're doing, or they're they're being untruthful, they're not bearing um, true witness about it, they're bearing false witness, or they're making false accusations, my first instinct is to retaliate, okay? Maybe it's just me, maybe everybody else listening to this, maybe nobody else has that instinct. That's my first instinct is to defend, protect, retaliate. That's the first instinct. And then, like I said, it's not just towards myself. When I see people that I care about, or I see people that are really trying to do what what is the quote, right thing to do, so to speak, the right thing to do, then it really raises up this part of me going, something needs to be said. And sometimes things need to be said, but we are told how to conduct ourselves the right way, according to scripture. 
And we must be reminded of that. And I have to be reminded of that every single day, even in personal life, when there are things going on that, um, that are not even related ministry wise, they're just day to day things that can happen. I'm even reminded in my own life in a day to day way that you are to conduct yourselves self in such a way that you are glorifying and testifying of Christ because you're representing the kingdom of God when we do that. So as we get back to our story, we see that these men were merely just rejecting what they were trying to sell. They didn't want it. But because it caused such an uproar in this town and them rejecting what they were offering, it led them to be put on trial. And then the people that were appointed to examine them during the trial convicted them, so to speak, as being madmen. And the punishment was they beat them. What in the world did these men do, you may ask, that it garnered such a reaction? But this is what the world looks like. The, the world is hostile to the things of God. The world is in rebellion against God. So they beat these men and they smeared them with dirt and to try to make the spectacle of them. So these men lay sometime in their, in their cages and, and were the object of um, malice. They were the object of revenge and they were the, the object of mockery. But it says here, but because Christian and faithful were patient and did not return evil for evil, Instead, giving good words for bad and kindness for injuries done. Some men in the fair that went more observant and less prejudiced than the rest began to reprimand and blame the baser ones for their continual abuses to the two men. And do you know what happened with this? Then these two groups that were, one of them was saying, you know, you're just as bad as these men that you've, that you've imprisoned you need to be in there as well because you're just as bad as they are. Then the other ones were saying, well, basically, like, how dare you say that to me? So then these two groups of people began to fight. A fight broke out between those two guys. And then this put Christian and faithful in trouble because they were associated and blamed because of this happening. So they were taken before the court again and charged with being guilty of causing the latest trouble in the fair. Again, the whole fair was... You know, we have these things that you want to do. These are all for pleasure. These are all for your enjoyment. You can do whatever you want. There's no consequence to it uh, as far as if you abide by what we want you to do in our town. But if you don't do what you what we want you to do in our town, if you don't abide by these worldly ways, and if you try to infringe upon them or you try to hinder them in any way, even if you're not trying to hinder them in any way, you're just trying to pass through, but you don't want to participate, you're viewed as being a hindrance. And so you're going to be dealt with. You're going to take the blame for it. And these men took the blame for something they had no hand in. It was not their fault. So they are brought to court again, charged with being guilty of this latest trouble. And they suffered more beatings. They said they they beat them mercilessly and led them in chains up and down the fair as an example to others, lest any should speak in their behalf or join them. But Christian and faithful behaved even more wisely and bore the humiliation and shame with so much meekness and patience that they won several of the men to the fair on their side. This made the others so enraged that they decided the two men should die for what they had done and for deluding the men of the fair. As we read on through this book, if you've ever read it, you know what happens. Christian and Faithful realize that they are being sentenced. And in the movie, it plays out a little bit differently. But you see the end result is still the same. Faithful is actually the one that is sentenced to die. He begins to speak out. He begins to address some of the charges that are brought against him, which 
that was not looked upon in a favorable light, and faithful is the one that is martyred for his faith. Uh, I won't describe here what it describes in the book of what happened to faithful. Needless to say, faithful suffered a horrible, painful death. But it also says in the book that in the dream, uh, John Bunyan, the man that's having the dream, he sees the chariot waiting for faithful after he dies that's going to take him up into heaven. Now, again, this is all an allegory, so don't take this as this man is having a real dream or anything. This is this is an allegory to demonstrate and help us to have a picture of the Christian life. And again, I encourage you, if you're not into big into reading, check out the animated video. I think I've seen it on Amazon uh, Fire, uh, Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for free. But the book is worth reading. It's really it's it's really helpful to help give you a picture of this. This particular scene stood out to me because even in the animated movie, the characters that are accusing these men, accusing Christian faithful, even make the comments to the judge. They say, we have beat these men. We have done all kinds of things to them. And they are smiling at us, even though we are doing what we're doing. And I don't know why that really stood out to me when I've watched that. I've watched this movie probably about four times now. But that that one particular part, along with a few others, including where he is walking up. He's not taking the passion way, for example. He's not taking that path, but he's going up the hill and he's on this this very narrow path that's very uh, torturous and difficult to walk. And he has this burden on his back he can't get rid of. And the closer that he gets to the cross that's up on top that's shining in the light, the the more that the burden is lifted off of him. And then when it comes off of him, it rolls down into the empty tomb. That's a wonderful part right there. That's one that's, that really stands out to me. And I'm so thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for lifting that burden off and for redeeming me and reconciling me, for saving me and washing me clean. This is another part of the, the, the movie or the book that really stood out to me. These two men going through this town, they could not avoid Vanity Fair. They're walking through this town and they're on their way to the celestial city and they're unmoved in their faith by the fact that they're on a, they know where they're going. This, the ultimate destination is to be with God to the celestial city. They were not distracted in any way. They said that they bought the truth. We can look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. That can uh, believe that's a reference to that. We can read that real quickly and see what that says. Proverbs 23, verse 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. These men were on their way to the truth. They, they did not care for anything else, and Vanity Fair represented the things of this world, the things that all the, the, the worldly pleasures, the worldly lust that could possibly distract us, that could lead us astray, that could cause us to worship anything else but God. And these people were not concerned about eternity. They were not concerned. They were concerned about the moment that they were in. They were concerned about their precious time of all their sin and their their lusts and their pleasures that were being disrupted by these two men that refused to go along with what they were doing. And because of that, it enraged them to the point that ultimately these two men were beaten. They were mocked. They were mistreated. They were continued to be beaten. And then one of them gave his life for the sake of truth, for the sake of Christ. And it got me thinking when I kept, I continued to think about the moment where the people that are very worldly and they're part of Vanity Fair, 
they continue they they make the comments of saying they're recognizing these men are not retaliating and it's very convicting when i think about it in my own life because i think am i honoring god in that way now i know i'm not perfect i and there's going to be times that you and i both are going to fall short we are going to stand and fall short of the glory of god but yet we are justified by christ but these men did not retaliate and I, I don't know why I keep bringing that up and, and reminding us, but I think a lot of it has to do with, I keep bringing that up because a lot, we, we're in such a volatile time right now. There have certainly been uh, other volatile times in our history, and I'm sure that the, the people that lived during those times, they thought, well, there's been no other time like this that we've lived in a more hostile time. We truly are living in a hostile time. We are truly living in a time where people's hearts are growing cold, where people are becoming very angry that the that love is waxing cold in people and love is sadly waxing cold in those that would say that they are born again believers sometimes we can all fall into this trap of of getting this coldness towards people especially if they're doing wicked and evil things or they're doing things uh, in the name of God but then they're not uh, proving themselves they're not showing themselves to to truly be bearing fruit in keeping with repentance or they're not showing themselves to truly bear fruit of the kingdom of God they're not demonstrating that things in them have been truly changed that God has done a work in them that's changed them and that that's being demonstrated on the outside of what that work is that God has done within them this can be very convicting when you think about it, especially in the culture, as we talked about a little bit ago when we were talking in our small group about cancel culture. The first knee-jerk reaction that you and I both have along with the world is when we hear something that we don't like, we don't. We just want it gone. We don't want to have any trace of it left. We want it taken away. We want, we want to cancel others. And we're participating, whether we realize it or not at times, in these... Uh, in these ways, we are canceling, trying to cancel someone else out and having the same, um, having the same mentality, so to speak, when we retaliate, if someone is treating us in a unjust way, or unfair way, so to speak, or their um, unprovoked way, then our first reaction is to return the favor, we return the, the way that, that they've treated us. We kind of ignore what Jesus says when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And instead, we do unto others as they have already done to us. As Christians, we are called to a higher standard. We're called to be holy. That doesn't mean that we think that we're better than somebody else. But holy means to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be set apart for God. And this is what we see even in the Old Testament that Israel was set apart in the type and shadow it shows as God's people would be that they would be set apart unto him, that they would be a people of his own possession. They would be a peculiar people. This is who we are as believers in Christ. We are not called to be like the world. And sadly, what we don't realize, we, we don't, we want, we forsake the world, but at the same time, we don't realize we are like Christian and faithful in order to get to where, in order to get to the celestial city. We have to go through this world. We are going to go through this world that has fallen. There is sin. We are wheat sown among the tares. We are going to face things that are not fair. Of course, if we talk about fairness, uh, you know, we can go down that path. But all of us uh, essentially uh, uh, deserve judgment. We all deserve judgment. But thanks be to God when we uh, repent and believe in Christ for our salvation. He's taken that judgment for us. But we can all be like those that are in Vanity Fair, 
and not even see it, that we can be just like them and want to retaliate. And yet these two men, we see the example of a Christian in Christian and faithful, those that are following Christ, that are on their way and looking towards eternal life. They're not concerned with the things of this world. They're not being absorbed by the things of this world. They're not being overtaken by the things of this world. They don't want to participate in those things, and they don't want to stay in a place where they're, they're remaining in this worldly, lustful state of sin. These men wanted to continue on to the celestial city, but they knew that they had to go through this. And this reminds us as believers that we're going to go through this world, but we have Christ. We can look to him and be encouraged. And at the same time, we should be looking to scripture to know how to treat others. And I'm going to ask you a question I want you to ponder as I ponder on it myself. What is your reaction as a born-again believer in Christ, if you're a born-again believer in Christ listening to this? What is your reaction or your response, should I say? We should respond rather than react. What is your response to someone who mistreats you unjustly? What is your response to someone who would mock you, potentially beat you, want to kill you? Most of us will never face that type of persecution or hostility. So let's boil it down to something more simple that maybe we all face on a day-to-day basis. What is your response to someone who disagrees with what you're saying and they are hostile towards it or they're accusatory. Maybe they mock you. Maybe they are saying things that are slanderous about you. What's your response to that? Are you one of those that retaliates? What is your response rather than reaction? What is your response when someone comes to you and is hostile because they don't understand? They, they think that what you're doing is foolishness to them which the gospel is is foolishness to those who are perishing. We know that. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Word of God tells us that. Are you reminded of the Word of God? And I want to remind us of the Word of God in this and in these types of circumstances, myself included. Because even in, like I said, in personal life, there can be things that come up and you have to think about how do I want to conduct myself? And this is all about being also led, ultimately being led by the spirit and not by our flesh, not giving into these things. And when we do give into these things, knowing that we have an advocate with the father, when we've sinned or, and when we've conducted ourselves in a way that doesn't glorify God, we can go before the father, before the throne of grace with boldness. And we have an advocate with the father and we can ask for forgiveness and ask the Holy spirit to help us and to ever conform us to the image of Christ. Romans 12, 17 through 21 is one of the verses that's listed in here in John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress during this time of how Christian and faithful were conducting themselves that shows us the example that they set. And I read more of this at the beginning of this podcast from the blog post, but I want to read it to you here. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21 something that we all truly do struggle with and can be difficult in, a, in, in our lives from time to time. As we're going through this world that's like Vanity Fair, as we're on our way to the celestial city, wanting to keep our focus and our gaze on Christ, wanting to glorify Him and honor Him in all that we do. And the words of God are helpful to us. They help to instruct us and to correct us and to keep us on the right path. Romans 12 verses 17 through 21 say, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I want you to notice something in the story as well that we read, that when Christian and faithful were mindful of conducting themselves in the way that they did, and to basically submitting to the humiliation and the shame, and they, and rather than uh, return evil words for evil, they returned evil words with kind words, that they were joyful in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution. There were people that took notice of it. There were people that noticed there's something different about these men. It's not them necessarily, but it was Christ working in them. It was the Lord doing his work in them to not conform them to this world and to conduct themselves as the people that were unjustly treating them were doing. First Peter chapter three, verse nine. This is the other passage that uh, fits well with how they were conducting themselves in this story of Christian and faithful. First Peter chapter three, verse nine says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That's very convicting. And it's very humbling when we read that and we realize how we are to conduct ourselves again in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and how so many times you and I both can fall so short of that because sometimes in the heat of the moment, it's much easier to react than it is to respond in a way that would honor God. We've all done that. I mean, I've, I've done that. I'm sure countless times more than I can count on my hands and my toes. I can tell you that I have responded in a way that did not honor God, but God is faithful and he's gracious and he's merciful when we go and we ask him to forgive us and to help us and to be led by his spirit. And when we begin to conduct ourselves in such a way that it truly does glorify God, even with those that are fellow believers. You know, we're told in scripture, if we have something against a brother or sister in Christ, we're to go to them personally and to repent or to, you know, to talk. And, and if we have anything against them or if they have anything against us to go to them and to, to talk and to apologize, repent and, and to, to honor God in such a way that we humble ourselves in, in those particular circumstances. And when I'm reading this story and this allegory of the, the Pilgrim's Progress, I'm seeing the life of us as believers being exemplified in that and us glorifying Christ in the midst of suffering and unjust persecution. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22 tells us, do not say, I will repay evil, wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 29 says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. We're not to have that type of mentality. We are not to repay people for what they've done to us. As what it says even in Romans, this is found in the Old and the New Testament. We don't repay back people for what they've done to us, but rather we repay evil with good. You may say that doesn't sound very fair, but if we were talking about fairness, you and I both would ultimately not deserve forgiveness. You and I both would not deserve mercy. Apart from Christ, we don't deserve that. But because of Christ, we are granted mercy and we are 
told to grant others mercy because that is being conformed into the image of Christ. That is exemplifying and demonstrating his own attributes. Now, when I say mercy, I'm not talking about, you know, ignoring sin, and I'm not talking about not addressing things that are contrary to Scripture and just turning a blind eye to things. That's not what I'm talking about. What we're talking about in this instance is personal treatment towards us as a believer in Christ and how we conduct ourselves in that treatment in in response to that treatment in order that God may be glorified and that he we testify of him in those matters and how we conduct ourselves rather than going through vanity fair and giving over to the pleasures and the lusts of the world and also giving over to their ways because if Christian and faithful had given over to that type of retaliation and that anger that they would have they would have basically succumbed to the foundation of Vanity Fair. Because it even talks about earlier, it wasn't just the lust and the pleasures of the world. It was the evil, the sinfulness of the world as well. It was the thefts. It was the adulteries, the murders that took place. If they would have given over to that anger and retaliated, they would have been just as guilty and and wicked as those people in Vanity Fair. But it was also these other ways too that in their conduct set them apart to where people noticed these men yeah they're yeah they're dressed different and such and they don't want what we have but they're not even responding or retaliating they're not reacting to what we're doing to them in the same way that what we're and even though it gets worse they will not relent in their conduct that is to glorify God And I think that that's a great thing for us to all to ponder on in a day-to-day basis, especially when we live in such a culture that continues to get more hostile to the truth of the Word of God, to the ways of God. And as the world, like I said, the people are, the the Word even says that people's hearts will grow cold. We don't want our hearts to be like that. We want our hearts to be hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. We want our hearts to have the Word of God written on it to where God has circumcised our hearts. He has set us apart so that way our hearts are not like the world. They're, they're not like Vanity Fair. They're the hearts that long to see the celestial city like Christian and faithful. They are the, they are, we are the ones that long to see our Savior, and we long to see Him in all of His glory and to be glorified with Him and to worship Him, to enjoy Him for all eternity. And no matter what this life may bring, that we continue to have our eyes and our hearts set on Christ as we believe in Him and know that the things that we may face in this world, they're transient, they're temporal, but life with Him is eternal. And that's what we had to look forward to. There's one more scripture I wanted to share with you in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42 about retaliation. And this is Jesus himself speaking to people. And we certainly want to glean from this from the word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He goes on in verse 43. Let's read on to there. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And certainly there could be a Bible study even on that in our understanding of what perfect really means. Because we can't be perfect apart from Christ. Christ is the one who clothes us in his righteousness and he is the one that is perfecting us. It's so funny to think that we can glean in our Christian walk from such a thing as a children's animated movie of the Pilgrim's Progress. And it should always lead us back to the Word of God and to help us in our understanding of ultimately our desire as Christians is to glorify God, to lift His name up above every other name, to testify of Him, and to honor Him in such a way that we know that we are in such a way that people are left with the testimony of Christ. And that's what these men and women were left with in Vanity Fair. They were seeing a testimony of Christ through these two men that were conducting themselves in a different way. And because of that, as you read on through this book, you find that there is one man who left named Hope who was convicted and became a believer. And he actually goes on to the celestial city as well. And as we ponder on that and who we come across in our, in our daily lives and our paths and who God has put in our paths, whether they treat us well or they treat us poorly, let us be reminded of a few more verses that are in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. We belong to a, a suffering servant, a suffering Savior who is Christ. He was very much acquainted with suffering. He was a man of sorrows, is what the Word of God tells us. God understands suffering. He understands persecution. There was only one good and just person that was ever mistreated unfairly and unjustly, and he was the one who died on a cross. The Son of Man, the Son, the Son of God, who was truly God and truly man, died on the cross for our sake. And he is the example that we follow in that suffering, and this is the example Christian and faithful were following. And in that same way of following that example, there were those around that were seeing what was taking place, seeing the response, and God was doing a work in them to help them understand their need for a Savior as well. Hope was one of those that benefited, that, that was brought into the kingdom of God because of the testimony of Christian faithful, their testimony of Christ. 
but recognizing that they belong to Christ. They testified of Christ in their actions. And we can see that they were brought to the Lord, that God softened their hearts to turn from their wicked ways and to follow Christ and go on to the celestial city, as we see in the Pilgrim's Progress. May it be an an example for all of us to remember something to think about as we go in our day-to-day lives as Christians, as strangers in this land that are going through Vanity Fair on our way to the celestial city, that we're reminded no matter what comes our way, whether it's cancel culture, whether it's retaliation, whether it's something as simple as someone saying unkind words, or heaven help us if our country gets to the point where we as Christians can no longer say things publicly and minister the gospel freely, that we are constantly reminded at the forefront, we are to honor Christ in all of our conduct, whether we're talking to one person or talking to a hundred people or a thousand people at one time, we are to honor Christ in our conduct. And if anybody sends any evil in our way, any sort of unjust treatment our way, that we are not quick to react but that we are slow in our reaction, that we are not brought to anger easily in such a way that we feel like we have to retaliate, but that we always at the forefront of our thoughts and in our hearts that we want to honor Christ. We want to glorify him, even if it makes us look like fools before the world, because we're not reacting and we're not doing the same things. We're not commenting the same way as the world would do and that we're not putting someone in their place or that we're not, we're not retaliating in such a way that it really helps us. It helps our egos. It's okay to be brought low. It's okay to, to be brought to those places when we know that Christ is being exalted and that he is having the place in, in us and being demonstrated in our lives that he is supposed to and that he's being exalted, that it may cause people to repent, that it would cause people to turn from their ways, and that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ ultimately and that they would be saved. I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope I've explained this in a way that's uh, that's been beneficial and um I look forward to being with you guys next week on the podcast then. Be blessed. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, And we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.